Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Gray Hospital. dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today are Lee Hutchison and Richard Marquez. Hi, guys. How you doing, everyone? Hey, Hey, how you doing? So excited to be recording this, um, and we are going to launch a new series called Unsung Heroes, where we're going to look at each season and talk about those episodes that get overlooked by the obvious great episodes from each season. And today we're going to cover season one, which many fans seem to overlook the entire season. Well, we're gonna let you know what we think about that type of attitude and thinking. Now TNG is celebrating its 30 year anniversary and many fans are committing to a rewatch. However, I've recently seen on Facebook and other areas um, people questioning if they should skip season one. What are they thinking? I am most definitely opposed to this idea. What do you guys think? Yeah, like I'm, I'm the same. Like I think Next Generation season one is actually a season I watch quite a lot. I think there's, it, there's some really good episodes in there. There, there's some shocking episodes in there. But I think it's in, at times, ironically, such a fun season to watch. And sometimes when I'm uh, kind of at home and it's a dark winter night, I like nothing more than watching some sort of a bit of a, a kind of trashy or interesting episode from season one. I think it's a, a bit of a throwback to, to go so far. You, I, you know, I lived through all of kind of Next Generation for the, the most part. And while I, a lot of like season three, four, five, all that I've watched so many times, sometimes I just think there's something great fun to just be hard to watch in season one. Richard? Uh- yeah, I, I actually am like everyone else. Uh, I usually do uh, skip season one completely. And, you know, going back throughout, throughout, through these episodes and looking at the list and everything, I forgot a couple of them. And um, it was actually good catching up because there were pretty good episodes uh, that were in season one. I mean, I don't see why uh, it was such a bad season, but, I mean, there are some good stories in this in this season. So I'm glad we went back and revisited it. Agreed. Yeah. And plus, how can you really do a rewatch if you skip over things? It just doesn't make sense. It's not logical. So let's dive into season one and tell our listeners why they need to revisit some of these episodes. Now, very excited. Each of us have our top three episodes and we haven't shared them with each other. So we're not sure what each other is going to say. And because it was so difficult to just choose three, I've got a couple of honorable mentions, as I'm sure you do as well. Yeah? Yeah. All right. So, Lee, 
Let's start with you. What Give us an episode that listeners need to revisit and why should they? I decided that I always think with these things, I'm always a panicker. Like Amy knows this from when she brought this up. I always think, well, there's going to be a lot of crossover. We might pick the same episodes and, you know, there's only so many things that, you know, people could probably pick. And, you know, season one's a bit sketchy for quality. So th- we might even pick the same episodes. So I decided to go for episodes of the next generation season one that are kind of underrated for what's going on behind the scenes not so much the episode quality but an important role that this show plays in kind of the future development or in star trek history so i decided to pick as my first choice data lore now i'm going to throw this to you why do you think data lore behind the scenes is so important um is it a brent spiner doing two characters in the filming of that maybe mm, eh. richard ah. uh it gives like a, a precursor before lore eh. <laughs> what it is is that this is the final final ever episode of star trek that has a teleplay by gene roddenberry he will while he behind the scenes he's probably making little script notes on episodes to come this was the last one where he had like a proper title where he was this he contributed to the writing of an episode and it was put in the credits so data lore in the terms of a historical point of view that we, we think of it we've just come off the 50th anniversary here gene roddenberry is the great bird in the sky that's created star trek and he's he's contributed so much to these the stories and the journey um but data lore in a way is kind of a, a bookend to that kind of contribution that this was this kind of big last kind of on-screen contribution to the writing of an episode beyond kind of pointers, notes, and then kind of playing some roles in the writing room. So I think it plays a kind of a historical reference to Gene Roddenberry's, you know, contribution to the next generation that season one was quite a, a tricky, you know, season to produce behind the scenes. And I think Data Lore, you know, is an important one to revisit that this is kind of a bit of his kind of last meaningful contribution in a certain way to the production of the next generation. Wow, that is an excellent reason to include data lore. That's really good. And yeah, it is historical. I agree. I would have never thought of that. <laughs> Leave it to Lee to uh, bring us the uh, behind the scenes. We're <laughs> oh, he's our closer, right? That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Richard, you want to give us something on your list? Um. Well, okay, well... Uh, I chose we'll always have Paris. Uh, and the, the reason why is because, I, well, I guess you could delete it uh, altogether, but I mean, because we really don't see a relationship for Picard and um, with someone else, really. And this is, as far as I, I remember, this is the only mention of him even having a relationship or even having a personal life before Starfleet, or I'm sorry, during Starfleet. Uh, and it, it's just, I, I mean, I, I, I like this. I've always liked the story and it, it's just, it's, it's a cute story. Or at least I think it is, or at least this love interest, obviously the science part is another thing, but yeah, <laughs> but that's my first one. Lee comments on we'll always have Paris. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I went on a romantic trip to Paris once. So I suppose me and kind of an ex-girlfriend will always have Paris, I guess. So yeah, I think that's an incredibly relatable episode on Star Trek season one. And that's something not many people can say. Because I don't know about you, but my bosses have never had little snakes in the back of their uh, necks or anything like that. So if I had to pick an episode of season one of the next generation that I could relate to the most, it would probably be that one. 
Yes, and I agree this one is a good episode to revisit. It's, uh, again, having seen Picard in a different type of role besides being captain is always a very good thing to see. Yeah. What about yourself, Amy, then? You're, you kick us off with your list. What's This is your episode. This is the one you wanted to champion. Here we go. Let's, let's get an insight into Amy <laughs> Nelson's brain. Okay, well, my first episode is Haven. Now, this is the one uh, where Troy is um, arranged to marriage of Wyatt. And so we get Luoxana coming on board. And, and that's always good for her to annoy Picard and reading his inappropriate thoughts. Um, so that's always a treat to have. Um, also, I really like it because we really get a good amount of background and culture of Beta Z. And so we get to, we're introduced that uh, weddings are nude. And I love the ringing the bell during the meal. I mean, that's got to be so annoying, but you're just like, oh, that's just what they do. That's how they show gratitude. And uh, so I like that because we do get a little bit more uh, background and culture. I really enjoy uh, Riker and Troy's relationship because you get to learn about their past relationship as well as their present and how things are there. Um, you know, uh, he calls, she calls him her Imzadi, and so we learn that word. And how we learn that Riker chose his career over a relationship with her. Um, but yet they still remain close and you can tell he's brooding in the holodeck because he, he's going to lose her and she's going to get married. And so he definitely still wants her, but what do you do? And um, for the last thing, I, we know that Mr. Holmes speaks. <laughs> Finally, I think this is the only time that we hear Mr. Holmes speaks. He says, thank you for the drinks as they are leaving. Yeah, sounds like my grandfather on Christmas Day. That's the only thing he'll say. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> yeah, I actually like this episode. Uh, it, it's actually uh, this is also what I also call my uh, my fiance Imzadi as well. Um, just Aww. yeah, <laughs> but like uh, it's, it's on my it's not. She's actually. That's what her contact nickname is, Inzadi. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, I love this episode. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, there's a lot about this episode that I joke about in my own personal life. Like, uh, you know, I'm about to get married in, in this year, or I'm about to get married this year, and I joked, oh, we could always do a Beta Z ceremony. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so. and then I commented, well, just the bride and the groom can go naked. I've heard excuses <laughs> in my lifetime to avoid buying wedding dresses, but this is a, a new one, Richard. <laughs> Yeah, well, she she's also having trouble finding one so uh, that she likes. So that's that's uh, that's another problem. But yeah, I mean, I'm okay with whatever. You know, I, I can go there with a Starfleet uniform as far as I'm concerned. But looks like it's gonna be tough. So I'm gonna yeah. lose that battle. <laughs> but yeah, I absolutely love this episode. Lee, what about you? What do you think yeah, about this? Um, bong, um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I find it. It's an interesting episode. It's just like. Uh, kind of very classic next generation season one where everyone's emotions are pretty like hyper like picard's like ultimate crabby um 
data is like kind of like pure Pinocchio. Um, Worf is like jumping in on everything. Tasha Yar just like runs to be emotional, and Riker's just like this brooding guy, just like he's just huffing and puffing this whole episode, and it's just like everything's just like at eleven for the emotions and stuff. It's quite a, it's very eighties in that kind of writing and acting approach. And and, and and in a way, it's kind of not very Star Trek as well to have characters like so in tune with their emotions to that level. Usually we think of them as pretty kind of cool and relaxed people. And um, yeah, season one, in particular this episode, it's, yeah, not quite... It wasn't very Star Trek, Star Trek in general to have all these emotions so hyper and all that sort of stuff where we see a lot of that in season one. Yeah, that's true. I do like the Star Trek theme... Well, I don't know if it's really a theme or not, but I mean, you have the Torellians coming to Haven and they are following their fate and meeting their destiny with Wyatt. I mean, it's all based on one girl's dream. How would you do that? Have you done something as crazy and had others like follow you based on a dream that you've had? I find that idea very interesting. Yeah, interesting, probably. Yeah. I think that could, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's very science fiction-y and all that, suppose, kind of their approach. And I like how she's got the pencil the pencil drawings and all that sort of stuff. It's just, it's, it's a very cheesy episode, and that's, Kind of its charm, I think. Uh, yeah, one of the one of the things I really like about this episode is that uh, Picard gets annoyed, and it's just a running joke throughout the whole entire you know series, really. And it's just, I, I mean, it's it's also good. I'm, I'm thinking it's good that we can get away from the uh, techno babble and and just do something fun. I mean, you know, like a, uh, like a hol- or, or something. I don't know. It's just it's just one of those episodes that I really liked. That it's a lot of fun. I probably wouldn't visit it very often because it's not techno babble sort of thing. That's because that's kind of what I like about uh, a lot of the uh, Star Trek episodes, or at least the most um, the the episodes that I really like are either politically driven or technical ba- or techno babble driven. So one of the two. But I mean, this is a good episode. I like it for the humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It's like this is an episode that doesn't have that techno babble too much and that it's really saying that there is such a thing as fate and destiny, which sort of goes against what we believe the science and, you know, of Trek philosophy to be. So I find it interesting. Anyways, we definitely could talk more about Haven, but <laughs> Lee, let's get to uh, your second Episode. Yeah, um, my second episode is the um, the skin of evil, and I think that plays an important role in Star Trek. That you know, we've recently just had uh, from there to here Trek FM's daily rewatch, where um, like all these episodes are kind of come together. And there's something that we we think of Star Trek. There's like nebula episodes are ten a penny. We've got long running arcs, but something that, that's so very rare in Star Trek is the death during the run of a main character that ultimately in all these 729 episodes with all these cast members the only characters that have you know main characters that have been killed on screen really were data yar um dax and um spock and that's very very rare like you think of like game of thrones that's probably the, they probably killed that many series regulars in the space of a season walking dead all these things so the idea of when star trek kills 
a main character is huge. It's absolutely, it's, you know, one of these big things. Like, oh, I suppose Trip as well. Should include Trip, my mistake. Um, yes. <laughs> um, before Brandon and uh, the other guys come after me. Um, but I think that seeing Star Trek explore death, especially of a main character, is so rare. So, like, and I think it does it really badly for the most part. I think the Spock death is, like, the king... Um, the day of death is, is pretty hokey. The trip one is atrocious. The Dax one, while the, the drama of it is amazing, the actual way it's done is a bit silly. So it's something that you can have this little thread that runs through Star Trek and you could probably do a death a death marathon if you wanted to. And I think Star Trek just seems to handle killing main regular characters quite clumsily. And I think this is kind of highlighted in The Skin of Evil that here we go, right, first season we've we've now got this character that we're going to kill off how can we do it in the science fiction you can do anything you can kill a character any which way you want so you've got to give fair props to them for killing them off with like a big tar monster so that's kind of <laughs> interesting um but i think it's an insight into how the season that it's kind of got to at that point where you know we ha- we have killed off a regular how are we going to do it uh, you know what are going to be the lasting effects of that and star trek next generation really didn't touch on tasha yar's death very much ever again it had a little bit here there measure a man then they kind of went with it again in kind of yesterday's enterprise but it was kind of a symbiotic of the time of um you know like TV where they just didn't have recurring plots or these things would come back. So Tasha Yar's death is a very interesting kind of relic in season one and and in Star Trek in general. Yeah, I, <laughs> Skin of Evil is one of those uh, uh, episodes I really did like. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's a good episode. Obviously, it needs to be needs to happen because uh, obviously we don't see her uh, later on down the road. But like, well, we see her obviously yesterday in Enterprise. But I mean, like as a main character i just i really wish they wouldn't have done that i mean i understand the the what happened uh i think it was what was it they had uh didn't they have some kind of uh problem on on set or something like that that was more that against was mcfadden with like um that's right. denise crosby she Her just contract. wanted to go off and do other things she was wanting to right. be in movies and well that maybe didn't really actually pan out as well as she'd hoped and i think she's tried to get back into star trek really ever since um she decided kind of early doors she just didn't want to be tied down to these sorts of things she was getting brand recognition um she was on playboy all these sorts of things and she believed that she could do better than just playing tasha yar each and every week behind the security station uh, yeah, I think the character would have done tremendously well uh, with everyone. I mean, even though Jennifer freaking hates the character, I love her. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a must. You have to have it. And, um, but I mean, to be quite honest, I didn't like the Troy part and all that kind of stuff. So. But then, you, like, <laughs> an interesting point you make there is that oh, she, she, she could have ended up being this loved character, but. It's one of the greatest what-ifs in Star Trek history that she she stayed on, Worf stays at the back of the bridge. Like, her death, like, truly made Worf the amazing character that we ended mm-hmm. up getting and loving. And what would that have been like if she'd stayed on the bridge? It's 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 a it's a wonderful what-if scenario. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. I agree. I've heard uh, Denise Crosby talk about it at uh, conventions now for two years. And yeah, she uh, definitely was looking for something better. And I think that her part was not written well. There's so many times that I'm not fond of the Tashi R character because of the way it was written. It didn't seem like she was really secure, head of security. I mean, she was just quick to jump and quick to open her mouth. And you're like, you know, someone on the flagship would not be uh, this rash. And um, when I first started watching Next Generation, my brother told me about Denise Crosby and how she wanted to go and do bigger and better things. And so that sort of tainted my view of her. It's like, well, she's too good for Next Generation and good luck with that. And then we see, yeah, she didn't really do much outside of it. And then you see her hosting uh, the Trekkies little documentary on uh, conventions and stuff. And she's always at every convention and just is, yeah, enjoying the Trek life. And she, and so I have a softer heart for her now because she explains you know she her character was not written well which I do agree with she's and she said you could have just had a cardboard of my legs because that's really all you saw of me that you know they're standing in the back of the bridge and um so I think she has her reasons and she's I think still loved in the community and yeah so for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) no I I absolutely love her I, I I really do I just I really wish I was, we'd have saw more of her. That's all. Uh, character, yeah. nothing else. <laughs> so. Yeah, and that she was written better. That's that's definitely true. So, Skin of Evil, very good. All right, Richard, give us a number two pick. I absolutely love Conspiracy. <laughs> ah. I, I love Conspiracy. It's, it's a great episode. Uh, it shows that... Uh, the Federation is obviously not as perfect as we all uh, like to, or I'm sorry, not the Federation, uh, Starfleet uh, is not the perfect uh, organization that we think it is, the, the peacekeeping uh, organization. And uh, I just love the whole, cons- uh, no, go figure, conspiracy, <laughs> the whole conspiracy of, uh, of that someone's trying to take over from the inside out. And it's it's a it's a wonderful story. I love it. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> You're gonna make uh, Brandon very happy because he loves this episode. Does he? Too. Oh, oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to believe there's people that don't love this episode. It's it's so much fun. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, we all love it. Okay. <laughs> we all agree for once. Yes. <laughs> all right. How about you, Amy? What's your second? Okay, my second pick. All right. Hold on to your seats. I am choosing Angel One. <gasps> no. People really do need to watch this episode. It's definitely, I think, maligned. Um, but why do I like it? I like the idea that there is a complete switch of gender roles. I mean, if you think about this, uh, this is airing, I think it was November of 87, and um, there was definitely uh, a lot of, um, what should we say, inequities amongst men and women at that time. And so to have this show where you are switching women being the providers and the protectors, and not even just that, but they're larger in their stature, I mean, just completely switch I find very interesting and um, 
I also like the idea that here is this entire planet where they've chosen to have this united vision and then Ramsey and his crew come down, crash land, and then they are described as being dangerous and anarchists and outlaws just because they have a different point of view. So can how do you view people who have a different vision for what you think your society or your family or your, you know, area is going to look like. And then I really like how Riker says, can you hold back evolution? Like, can any one society stay homogeneous? You know, I, I find those interesting uh, ideas to think about. And so that is why it is my number two pick. I mean, for me, I think it's, uh, (laughs) awful episode to put it bluntly but but i think the idea behind it is very interesting i just think the execution was badly done i think there's a lot to say about this episode a lot to discuss and i think it's an important episode too i just think the execution of it all undermines what could have been a very fascinating episode which can be the same for a few episodes in season one like justice for example interesting idea just poorly executed and ends up being kind of an episode that ends up being derided by fans. Sign me up. Where do I sign? (laughs) No, I actually like this episode. Uh, It's, yeah, it's like general swapped. I mean, well, wait, wait, wait. Let let me backtrack there. Not really general swapped. It's more like a... um, I guess a, uh, an extreme polarized view of it, uh, swapped. Uh, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's a what if it's, it's a what if situation. Obviously, or at least that's how I'm seeing it when, when I watch the episode. It's like do what I mean. That, I mean, it, it, I've been I've been seeing I've been seeing a lot around uh, around the network and around or I'm sorry I've been seeing around the internet that this is a sexist. Uh, uh, episode and I, I somewhat agree if I took offense to it, but I don't because I wouldn't mind uh, being uh, you know kept like that. That would be awesome. Uh, you know, <laughs> get a break here and there. But like, I mean, it's just like it's it's one of those episodes where you know if we were to look at it and let's see, let's say someone someone who doesn't view women uh, in uh, as strong at all. I mean, would it be it would exactly it would be uh, would it be the same thing on the other uh, looking at it the other way around? I mean, it's I mean, it very well could. I don't know. I mean, but uh, it's one of those episodes that, you know, kind of makes you think it was like, yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, but like. Uh, it, it's i mean but it, it, it this is also trudging into or uh trudging into uh dark territory too but uh i'm not going to go any further than that but i actually like it mainly because it's yeah it's it, i'm not sexist but i'm just saying it's a swap basically so i, I that's what i mainly like it like for it exactly so. i mean you're just seeing a different perspective on how a society is um, so Lee, tell me, what do you mean executed? Like the storyline of it all? Like I hear people say that and I'm not quite sure exactly because a lot of people will say that about a lot of different episodes that they don't like. Well, it just wasn't executed well. I'm not sure what does that mean? Um, like the acting? Basically what it means is kind of that you can have like a, 
an interesting like take for example the, this idea that we just kind of spoke about there with this idea like it's it, it's a gender gender swap you know the, the kind of the females are the patriarchs of society and um, they're the establishment and the men are kind of cast away and, and all that sort of stuff that's a really interesting idea then you kind of go right how will we make a story about this and you can execute it poor execution can be in a number of ways you can end up making a like the story be like pretty terrible like that you end up making a story where it just doesn't come across as well written or the ideas just aren't fully formed or they're bad is badly acted or it there's things in it that completely jar and i think with angel one and i've not watched it in a while but like my predominant takeaway from it is that the 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 main actress who plays the the leader on the planet is it's all really good but the execution kind of falls under where you've got this silly thing with Riker, you know, bathing around in his like kind of, you know, outfit and all these sorts of things, and the the band of um, male characters just seem like a poor man's Mad Max characters, um, and it's things like that end up just distracting from an interesting kind of point that's been trying to make, and I think like with justice as well as another interesting example that you've got this prime directive and the prime directive forbids you from interfering and one of your cast members is going to die that's amazing drama where could this go oh my god then they execute it by going what it's going to be is that he stepped on the grass so that undermines your point straight away because it's laughable like they're going to stand by and let someone die for stepping on the grass it's it's things like that where the execution is is poorly thought out. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, yeah, it does. Excellent. Okay, so we're coming up to our third and final pick and so Lee tell us about yeah, yours. Yeah, I've gone for The Lonely Among Us. Um, an enjoyable episode in its own right but in terms of again it kind of plays an important role in what Star Trek is to come and I think that with like season one and season two there's a lot of turnover a lot of people come on board behind the scenes whether it's writers directors they do maybe a couple of episodes maybe even they only get one and that's them jettisoned out there was so much going on behind the scenes and it's something we'll, we'll touch upon in later episodes um so people kind of staying around and getting longevity out of Star Trek The Next Generation is very difficult to do. And one of the people that achieved that is Cliff Bowl, who's kind of probably, if for those eagle eye watchers at the end of epi- at the start of episodes, will pick him up as a, re- who will become a huge recurring director, in-house director for Star Trek. You know, he's, he got his start with Lonely Among Us. He did, you know, you could write off a bunch of episodes here that he's done, and they're probably, could be argued as people's favourites. Lonely Among Us, Conspiracy, Best of Both Worlds, Hollow Pursuits, Redemption, Unification, Starship Mine, On Voyager he did The Famous Tuvix, Dark Frontier, Future's End, Q in the Grey, um, you know, he did a few episodes in Deep Space Nine, Defiant for example, so this is a guy that was in there in the coal furnace of season one of The Next Generation and managed to stay around and was there all through was there through a chunk of deep space nine and there through voyager as well and um, he did x-files episodes 
TJ Hooker, but the fact that this guy managed to make an impression in season one that actually made him like be able to stick around. We had Rob Bowman, who was brilliant in season one and two in directing episodes, but outside of that, he only did one more episode of TNG. So Cliff Bow, his like first episode, like this is the start of a, a huge long term relationship behind the scenes um, with the Next Generation, and not many people involved in season one can really say that. True. Richard, thoughts on Lonely Among Us? No, it's a good episode. I, I I like it. I nothing further than what Lee was saying. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll agree that Cliff Boyle and in, in his name through Star Trek uh, warrants a mention here. But after I watched that episode, um, I was like, I don't like this episode. <laughs> so that one is definitely one that's on my don't like list, which is very rare because so far that's the only one that I have for season one. <gasps> Dun, dun, so. dun. Yeah. Oh, I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I came away. I just thought it was boring a little bit, but uh, so I digress. Oh, I would um, just put it this way, uh, Amy. It's the start of possession episodes in Star Trek, and we're going to see plenty yes. more of them in the next generation and beyond. Though I do enjoy like this this idea that Picard is just floating around in a nebula. Like that's kind of like. Someone must have been taking some kind of LSD or something behind the scenes that day when he went, I'm going to pitch you this episode. Picard's one with the cloud, man. And they got to beam him in like, you know, like there's something's going on behind the scenes there. Yes, I agree with that. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> and there's these 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 spooky aliens, and like they look like ferrets, and they're fighting, and like Picard is like possessed by this like thunder and lightning, and the crew are like gonna have a like are gonna go up against him, but they're like, no, we gotta respect the law, man. And it's like that, you know, if you respect the law, someone will end up being a cloud, man. You know, it's could just you, like. Could you imagine the CG today? Oh yeah. Uh, how on that episode <laughs> you can make it so rad <laughs> oh it's hilarious <laughs> oh. all right richard well what about your third pick oh god i don't know if i want to do this <laughs> go for it i've been waiting okay um so uh okay I'm gonna drop I'm gonna drop a live grenade in this uh in I'm pretty sure this is gonna drop a live grenade in uh, the Babel conference so I'm gonna you put really my flap jacket on training, didn't you Richard you don't drop <laughs> live grenades Jesus whatever the American taxpayers <laughs> spent on you <laughs> well of course I don't freaking do that but <laughs> no, no but uh, well uh, my third uh, episode is not. Uh, very popular choice and the only reason why and before i even say is just hear me out before you start chastising me on this but like um i chose code of water uh the reason why is because it's uh it's one of those episodes that we see the prime directive at its full or at least to me it's at, at its full ma- uh full effect because it's a we i mean easily the enterprise can go down swoop in take everything they need and be gone pillage the whole entire planet or whatever for the backseat that they need it for for that uh uh some kind of fever uh that they're trying to get but um it's one of those episodes that you know picard shows constraint um and basically uh, um, because of the prime directive he subdues um subdues all everything all his powers all his resources to uh to basically 
form a peace treaty with these people. Now, I get it. This is the racist episode. I get it. I didn't know that until November of last year when Amy told me. <laughs> and the reason why is because, you know, 24, 25 years of watching Star Trek, I've never seen it that way. And, or at least this episode, I've never seen it this way. I mean, going back, um, I, I mean, if you, everyone wants to look at it, uh, uh, Earl Grey, 124, Earl Grey, 140, Standard Orbit, 143, and uh, also... Uh, Mission Log 99, as well as From There to Here 105. All of those episodes talk about Code of Honor. And, of course, everyone has the same point of view, which is, which is fine in everything. And just as a, you know, just as a social experiment, I also uh, had my brother watch it, my, uh, a friend of mine watch it, as well as Jennifer watch it. Everyone saw the racial, uh, uh, you know, obviously everyone's black. I get it. Yes. It, it's a, it's a, oh God, I'm, I, I'm, I, I can't even freaking, <laughs> I'm losing my breath as I'm talking because I'm not breathing. But like, you know, everyone's, everyone saw all the, uh, all the racial, uh, racially charged uh, um, parts of it, but that's not how I saw it. And that's not how I saw it back then as well, or up until, like I said, November. Um, Cause I saw it as a story. I don't, I mean, I don't look for that kind of content uh, or at least uh, that kind of, uh, I don't look through that lens that, oh, is this racist? You know, I just look for it as a story. And I know I'm going to catch flack for this, but it's just one of those episodes that I really like. <laughs> I really do. I mean, yeah. So, all right, here we go. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, I, I'm in to kind of two camps. I think it is, it, it is really, it, like, again, it's an interesting story, but it's badly executed. Like the idea that this all black <laughs> planet acts and portrays itself that way, and it it's you know plays on kind of these stereotypes, and it, they embrace the stereotypes in a very you know undeserved way. Like they go, oh, this is how these kind of black characters will all all act and stuff like that. It's 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 bang out of line, really. But it's such trash that I can sometimes watch an episode and, you know, I'm, 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 I've expressed it before, I'm interested in behind-the-scenes stuff, historical kind of markers and stuff like that. And I, I can watch this episode and I'm, I'm aware that it is hugely kind of controversial and rightly so. And I find it quite interesting and enjoyable to watch as a piece of, you know, insight and sitting there watching it going why did they make this decision what was the thinking behind here like how did it get to this point and i find that interesting to sit and watch and try and work through that kind of the process in my head and um so i find it enjoyable in in that respect as a kind of a you know trek historian as it were um actually it was worse um, the, or the original way that it was supposed to be done. Supposedly, from what I've read and what I've researched, because I've researched quite a bit in the last couple of days, that the original script called for the guards to be all black and this to be based on the Japanese uh, culture. So I think that would be worse <laughs> if it was like Asian, um, you know, in a sense, bosses or, or whatever you want to call them, masters or something like that, or whoever controls the land. And then, of course, their guards are black. And that make that would make it worse. Now, obviously, <laughs> either way, it I mean, I, it might have been a better move to make them all black. I don't know, but then again, it could have been because like here's the thing is so also 
Stargate did the, did an episode because the same writer that wrote this and I, I forgot her name to save my life um, wrote the same exact story for Stargate and instead of making them all black they're all reptilian basically the same story and I, I I mean I guess it could have it could have been better if it was like another if it was an alien species and whatnot but I I like I said I don't look for that and I I thought it was a great episode when it deals with constraint. Especially on someone with lots of technology at their at their hands. So, well, Amy? and I'm with you, Richard. I didn't see it as racist, and I think um, I've mentioned this t- uh, to you before, Lee. When we did from there to here, it's like Star Trek has a flaw in that every time it introduces a society or a race, they just focus in on one aspect. And so that's what I feel that they've done here. I mean, are all Klingons warriors? No, but we get that from the beginning. Well, this is how they are. And are all Herogen this, you know, out for the hunt to kill their prey? Well, no, probably not, but that's all we see. So Star Trek has constantly just given one perspective on a race and so when we look at code of honor and the ligonians that's all we see we see them in their one aspect of their culture and so i was with you richard i didn't see it as racist and i didn't even think that until i started listening to truck fm and hearing what other people had to say about it you know and i was like oh well, I didn't even pick up on that, you know, because yeah. you just, they always show just one aspect of a culture or race, and that happens to be what they showed there, you know? As a yeah. boring, nerdy piece of information to complement what uh, Richard said is, like, obviously the writer's Catherine Powers, um, and I'm a big Stargate fan, and it, the ep- it wasn't lizards, it was actually females. Um, it was like a planet where it was kind of like, it was all all women essentially on the planet and that episode was called emancipation and code of honor is technically like the fourth episode of um the next generation if you take encounter of farpoint as two episodes and emancipation was the fourth episode of season one and Catherine powers did that episode too so there's a kind of a weird historical parallel between the two yeah and you know like i said it's not something that i mean i i see it I'm not blind to it. <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I never saw it. And, you know, like it's, it, when I did the social experiment, I didn't tell anyone what was going on. Well, except for Jennifer. Um, but like, uh, you know, just to get a background of me, I'm, I'm Mexican and Asian, uh, um, you know, so, you know, I'm very <laughs> used to the idea of racism, but like, it's just, it's just not what I look for when I see an episode. I mean, it's the same thing with Angel One. I didn't see it as sexist. I just saw it as a story, and yeah, it's um, it, it may be a little bit over the top on some subjects and whatnot, but that's not how I saw it. It's just, an, I was like, oh yeah, I guess I could see it that way. And I guess it's, you know, it, it depends on the person, and uh, I just think that, you know, a lot of Star Trek fans you know, watch, obviously we all watch it over and over and over again. And of course we catch things that we don't necessarily see, um, the first time or the second time, but like, it's just, it's, it's just a story to me, or at least that's how I see it. So, yeah. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Your turn, Amy. Well, um, I debated on 
whether I should include this episode because I felt like it is a fan favorite, um, but I'm going to say it anyways. Arsenal of Freedom. Do you guys like this episode? Love it. Yeah. Oh, Richard. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. It's it's a. It yeah. I. I yeah, I think it's trash. <laughs> so I was I was talking with one of my friends, and um, I was like, well, what would you say are the best episodes of season one? And he mentioned Arsenal and Freedom, and so I'm like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't include it because a lot of people do like it. But I am including it. Um, you do need to go and watch Arsenal of Freedom. Why I chose this, because we get to see Jordy in Command. And I've noticed we see Jordy in Command quite a bit in season one. Um, but even better, we get Troy counseling him as she does so very well. So I like it for that. And then the thought that I had with Arsenal of Freedom is, is there such a thing as too many guns? And I think we can see yes, because all of it destroys the entire population of the planet. Um, and then is there such thing as too much automation and computer programming? And... The idea that, you know, this computer or this gun or whatever it is uh, goes back and learns and then comes back to, you know, take it on again. And it just really made me think about, and I don't know, it's really scary, like Google, because like I will start typing and it fills in exactly what I was going to type. And that's a little scary. And then even more scarier, like my iPhone, when I get done teaching and I get into my car, my iPhone says, uh, 10 minutes till home. And I'm like, how do you know I'm going home? You know, or even on the days when I go to the gym, it says 24 minutes to the gym. I'm like, this is crazy. I mean, really seriously, I'm not joking. I'm sure some of you have had that, but I'm like, is there such a thing as too much? And I'm sort of feeling like, yeah, it's getting a little scary. So that's why I chose Arsenal of Freedom. Do, do you know? Do you know why it does that? Uh, well, there's some learning program going on in there, and you, that's scary. You said you had an iPhone, right? Yeah. So on your phone, it actually says what frequent times, and uh, it says frequent places, and it actually records what time you usually go to the gym, what time you usually go home, what days, and all that kind of stuff, and you can just turn it off. <laughs> See, it's technology learning our patterns out to destroy us yep arsenal of freedom right there judgment day yes. <laughs> that's how i'm saying it so uh, everything you just said is like it's not about arsenal or it's not it's not about weapons it's not about well it's technology but it's the birth of ai and we're all gonna die <laughs> <laughs> so lee you like arsenal of freedom yeah um it was one of my honorable mentions um i think but i picked it for a different reason and it was the first time we ever see uh black captain in the next generation um and I think it's a fascinating kind of historical landmark. We've got this black actor, uh, LeVar Burton, kind of at that point, obviously reading Rainbow and his role in Roots where he played a slave. And to kind of that sums up brilliantly the kind of the Roddenberry vision of kind of a colorblind future. And while we talk about Code of Honor and potentially it's very vile approach to, um, to race, um, this is kind of the opposite in the respect that it's the issue that... LaForge has is that he feels he's too young to be captain you know he's, he's dealing with a lot he's processing all these things and it's never once that it's about his race and that's what Star Trek is it's colorblind 
Cisco never doubts that he can be a good captain or his decisions based on his race. It's he the Forge becomes captain and all he worries about is maybe he's just too young and it's nothing that's never blinked out or it made a big deal that this is a black guy that's sitting in the captain's seat of the Enterprise. Um, it's just the fact that this guy's young and I think that's a, a historical moment that goes under the radar. Agreed. Richard? I, I, I got really nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> It's just one of those episodes that, I mean, I don't, I didn't uh, think of uh, think about LaForge being um, a captain, being the first black uh, person as a captain, or at least on the Enterprise, it is. Uh, but like, it, it's one of those episodes that I, I could just, I could just do without. Uh, when you said that, when you, uh, when we before we did this show, I was like, Arsenal Freedom, like it, it wasn't the, it wasn't the episode I was thinking of, because uh, it was, the, I was thinking of um, conspiracy was the episode and um i when i watched it again i was like oh man this is the episode that i absolutely thought it was quirky and yes uh thinking of it is um in the in the eyes of like ai uh the birth of ai and all that kind of stuff yeah it's 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 a scary moment <laughs> uh definitely it's something that um we we could look at as uh a very, a very potentially dangerous uh, uh point in our in even our history right now with uh because of what i think stephen hawkins has, uh, has warned uh several times about a the birth uh, giving birth to ai if that if it hasn't already happened already so yeah skynet <laughs> i just watched since we're talking about ai i just watched x machina, X machina. Mach- oh, machina. Yes. Woo! A little scary right there yeah. oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's a scary movie. <laughs> that was a good thriller. Rare, enjoyed that a lot. Yep. All right. Well, those are our three. Um, so, Lee, you'd mentioned Arsenal Freedom was on uh, your honorable. So, give us what was uh, your other. Yeah, uh, my mention. other one was the I kind of something I echoed a bit with um, Cliff Bowl, um, but where no man has gone before kickstarted really essentially Rob Bowman's directing career. Uh, he would direct some of the best episodes of the next generation in the first two seasons um heart of glory elementary dear data q who manhunt a lot of these amazing episodes in the kind of the first couple of seasons of the next generation and he would go on to be like the mainstay in the x-files he was kind of essentially the director in residence there and we'd go on to do the x-files movie um so yeah rob bowman kind of kickstarting his career and i think he brings a directing style with it made the next generation seem not so televisual and i really appreciate that in those first few seasons when the quality on and on the screen and behind the scenes was very televisual at times and very dated rob bowman was a fresh perspective very good richard your honorable mentions um i only actually had one other um and that was the battle uh mainly for uh the history behind i mean he has a history uh within starfleet we don't really know who he is um in uh, throughout or at least in this first season we really don't i mean he just he's a new character that apparently has been through a lot and um is a hard ass so we really we see we see um his relationship with gabrielle um and uh we will always have paris but really that's really all we see uh about him so i kind of i like this episode mainly because we get some kind of background he's obviously a military uh, well uh military leader i guess it's not it was a surprise attack so yeah I mean, that's what I mainly love about this episode. That was the only one because I, I figured no one else was going to choose Code of Honor. <laughs> and um, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, my uh, two honorable mentions are one one zero zero one zero zero one. And, um, I think it's just a really fun, good clue episode. And of course we get introduced to Minuet who we, well, I love, she's fabulous. And, um, sort of the binars, it's interesting. Again, we're getting this idea of combining technology with organic life and they do it in a different way. Um, than the Borg do, but it's still that idea of, you know, their advanced technology and the combination of an entire world. Um, I like that. Plus, as a math teacher, it's always fun um, to use binary. And my second um, choice, honorable mention, is hide and cue. And I just like the idea, although I don't like the weird animal shapes that they get sent to, um, but the idea of this, you know, using uh, this unlimited power. And what would you do? And we see what Riker does. And uh, we get to see what Riker thinks everyone else's desires are. And so for that, I find it interesting. I do have one question for you guys. Do you think in hide and cue, so since Tasha was, was put into the penalty box early, uh, do you think that, that, would, that was, they were already starting to get rid of uh, Tasha Yar and start putting Worf in there? As a security chief, because how fast he was running and then coming back and, you know, you know, basically saying, put down your weapons sort of thing when they were trying to test out their phasers. No, not really. I think it's a pretty good no. uh, um, kind of representation of what Worf was like as a character. And um, we've seen Tashi Yar get quite emotional about kind of a few issues and stuff. So I think it's it's pretty consistent with what we were kind of getting from kind of straight away from the next generation with those characters. And it is 13 episodes before Skin of Evil, so I'm not sure if is they it really? were thinking. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't have thought so at that yeah. stage. Well, season one, Unsung Heroes, is not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's a quick look at what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Warp 5. Even though we were waiting, even though we lost tons of money, we were just like, we were like, oh, phew. Now we, can, now we can stop and think. Writer strikes are funny things. Sometimes you get season 7 of 24, and sometimes you get shades of gray. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Literary Treks. And again, that's the great thing about these novels is like you know, it, ch- it can change your perception and look at, at these episodes and these movies in a totally different way. And I just love, you know, it's not there to fix mistakes. But it does. Meta tricks. How do they know for sure that they're they're not the ones who are going to be thrown back and their duplicates end up making it back to deep space? Hey, How can they know for sure? That's a very good question. They glossed over that big time in this episode. Yeah, I, I think if I'm Benjamin Sisko, I would want to make sure that's clear. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. You can listen to every show on the network at trek.fm with links for iTunes, streaming services, and a direct download link. This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPod, iPad, Kindle, Android, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Thank you, Audible, for for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. 
If you are a weekly listener and would like to directly help Earl Grey, please consider becoming a patron of Trek FM. At patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose a pledge level. At $5 gets you entrance into our patron zone. And this is where you get exclusive content and access to our early releases of our podcasts. At the $15 a month, you get to participate in our monthly roundtable discussions with other patrons and networks. Uh, and hobnobbing with the hosts. Now, Lee and I just recorded one earlier and had a very good time at our roundtables. And at the $25 a month, you get uh, associate producer credits for any podcast that you choose here on the network. We would like to take this moment to thank our current Patreon associate producer, Michael Huter. Thank you for supporting Earl Grey. Another way to help out the network and get cool stuff is to visit Redbubble at redbubble.com slash shop slash Trek FM. You can find amazing designs for shirts, pillows, phone cases, and more. And with each purchase, a portion of the sales go to Trek FM. Connect with other Trek FM listeners on our Facebook discussion group called the Babel Conference. Found through Facebook, searching Babel, B-A-B-E-L, or you can like us on facebook.com slash trekfm page for our show updates and announcement. The network is also on Twitter at trekfm. If you would like to contact Lee, Richard, or myself, that's Amy, visit trek.fm slash contact to send us a subspace message or find us on social media. So Richard, where can people find you and tell you that Code of Honor is definitely racist? Well, they cannot find me on the Babel <laughs> Conference on Facebook, and they cannot find me on Twitter at xransom. No. <laughs> no. They can find me on the Babel Conference. Uh, they could also find me on Twitter, and my handle is xransom. And I would love to hear your views. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. All right, Lee, and where can they find you to talk back behind the scenes? Yeah, you can you can find me to talk behind the scenes um, at Lee underscore Nostromo on Twitter. You can find me at Star Trek VHS on Twitter. We've just recently I'm got a little collaboration going on with TrekCore just now where you'll find all my VHS artwork covers uh, popping up there. I think today the movies and the animated series went up, so look out for the next generation of Voyager in the near future. Um, you can find me on the Filibuster podcast on the Nerd Party Network. Just this week, um, me, Matt Hansen, and uh, Tristan O'Dell released a Star Trek Beyond commentary podcast. You can check that out. And I'm also part of the team on the Glasgow is Green podcast, a football podcast all about Celtic football club. So I'm sure that'll appeal to 0.09% of Star Trek fans that listen to this. If there's a Zen diagram, there would be next to no crossover. There'd just be me. Um, and <laughs> obviously you can find me on the Babel Conference. You do so much. Thank you. Well, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. So join us next week for another cup of Earl Grey. The line must be drawn here. Today is my day to die. Great joy and gratitude. <laughs>